Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Happy Monday, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining us today for part three in the Memory of series where we have Glenn sharing the story of his wife, Carenza. Over the last two weeks, we got to meet Carenza, the whimsical, funny, and brilliant young woman who was diagnosed with hormone-positive breast cancer at the age of 22. After hearing the love story of boyfriend and girlfriend to fiancé and eventually husband and wife, Glenn and Carenza experience cancer progression. In this episode, we share the realities of stage 4 breast cancer. This episode isn't for the light of heart and it's not sugar-coated. Stage four cancer for Carenza progressed quickly. She was in substantial pain, and she chose to fly home to the West Coast to be near her immediate family in an effort to protect Glenn from seeing her pass away. I'd like to take a minute to read you a couple passages when I was doing my own research on stage four breast cancer that I'd like to share with you all. And I'm going to read them because I think they are articulated very nicely. The first coming from ASCO the American Society of Clinical Oncology. It is important to remember that breast cancer is treatable at any stage. Treatments for metastatic breast cancer are continually improving and have been proven to help people with metastatic cancer live longer and a better quality of life. Coming from the Fred Hutch Organization, they mention metastatic breast cancer, also referred to as stage four breast cancer, means the cancer has metastasized or traveled through the bloodstream or the lymph system to create tumors in the liver, lungs, brain, bones, or other parts of the body. Between 20 and 30% of women with early stage breast cancer go on to develop metastatic disease. While treatable, metastatic breast cancer cannot be cured. The five-year survival rate for stage four breast cancer is about 22%. The median survival is three years. Annually, the disease takes 40,000 lives. As with primary breast cancer, treatment for stage 4 breast cancer includes chemotherapy or radiation and can often be harsh and unforgiving. But dealing with an incurable disease and the side effects of its treatment aren't the only burden metastatic breast cancer patients have to bear. Many also have to educate others about their disease, explaining over and over that no, the scans and blood tests and treatments will never come to an end. No, the metastatic breast cancer in the lungs is neither lung cancer nor linked to smoking. No, staying positive and fighting hard isn't going to beat back this late-stage disease. Welcome to the conversation. My burning question right now is, you know, I'm on tamoxifen. I thought I would be in, you know, no evidence of disease. How did this come back? How was I resistant to this treatment? That was questions that we asked and didn't really get, it was just, we don't know because you're so young and it was so aggressive that it shouldn't have come back this soon, but it did. And it was more like, all right, it did. We can ask why and everything. Right. until we're purple in the face but it didn't matter at that point matter was the, the only thing that mattered was how can we treat this 
what what are the options what is the life expect expectancy what is you know all of these options here like let's you know, move forward let's go. Yeah. you know everything's coming out new so much so let's try to get two years and then see what happens and you know we're really doing this and this chemo that we're going to be on is showing great promise and it's two years new and it, mm-hmm. you know people have shown progression free for 24 months and it's been great like awesome mm-hmm. like we got this so went home and new normal here we go again but we got this yeah her pain was a little bit higher um more mris and and scans showed that she had some small compression fractures in her spine uh so it was like all right don't be bending over and picking things up anymore so that was changing so more pain so try here's some pain meds to try to help you do this and she hated being on the pain medication Mm -hmm. because it kind of made her tired so she had to time it where i take the long acting now and then when i get to work i can take the short acting because oh yeah she didn't want to stop working i can take the short acting but only half a dose so i'm not too tired so i can still work and then i leave at you know she would she actually agreed to cut it down to half days at this point so i can leave and then come home and take it and then nap and then be okay for the evening um so from there we're home and things were kind of normal we told the people that we had to tell like it's you know it's back you know mm-hmm. her parents were devastated and and um her mom called me and said um, we're surprising a trip all of us are coming out there so her mother her stepfather and her three uh younger brothers who are about the same ages as our boys okay. so um at the time there was a 12 year old a 10 year old her brothers 12 10 and i want to say six and now you know they're so my boys had seen them on skype because we're like hey we're all the same age you can play you know playstation together online and yeah and so they were excited we get to meet okay great like are they our cousins like technically they're your uncles (laughs) but (laughs) right um they're family (laughs) yeah like they can be cousins um so that was the plan like all right great a few days she started not feeling well Mm. and like just a cold and then there was one day she couldn't catch her breath like let's go to urgent care like this isn't good so we went to urgent care and they took a listen and they're like get to the er do not pass go do not collect 200 dollars. get to the er now you have pneumonia wow so it was was something that she contracted while in the er the week before which it's super common but suppressed immune system and absolutely yeah you're so susceptible yeah back on the oncology floor so I remember she got wheeled up um, from the ER and I saw one of the the nurses kind of nudge another one and point over mm. and just kind of like oh no like a look of like not like how I told you won that bet but more of a like oh no yeah and so she got you never want to see them back right? yeah like... a week went by since she was discharged so she was in a different room um like next door mm-hmm. and she was joking she's like oh I like the other room better you know is it my room available and so it was it it got bad i mean she her oxygen level um she was on constant oxygen so at one point it got up to four liters and she just couldn't breathe she couldn't really talk um she was on a lot of pain meds they're trying to get that but because her breathing was so low at one point there was a night where i thought i heard the death rattle she just couldn't breathe and it was congested and that 
that awful, awful sound. And I looked at her and her oxygen, she's not really breathing. And I grabbed a nurse and she had like slight respiratory depression at that point because just the meds all at once and, and trying to get her to, to breathe normally. And, and so they adjusted her and she ended up being fine. But that whole week I would stay up at night and just listen and make sure she was breathing. And, you know, there were like three nights where I really thought this is it. I'm going to lose her. Was that part of the discussion at all? It sounds like this happened so rapidly. I could yeah. barely wrap my head around this. Um, I know this is the first time I'm hearing this story. I know this is the first time our listeners are hearing this story. So it went from Thanksgiving and, you know, Black Friday shopping to checking yourself in to the hospital with pain, abdominal pain to stage four cancer. Yeah. And now pneumonia and respiratory. Yeah. It, it was just overwhelming and we had no no idea what what we were doing just it was survival mode at that point mm. and her family was coming out and she was in the hospital like we don't know when you're going to be able to go home she said i'm going home for my family to be there they're mm. flying out here from washington i'm going to be home like we don't think you should she's like i'm going to be home send me home with oxygen so she was very uh strong-willed yeah. when she wanted something she so they're like all right it's against our orders but we understand and so they sent her home and the concern was just because of her low oxygen levels yeah and she just wasn't really getting better mm. uh so they sent her home and got the house set up for oxygen and so her parents and brothers flew out and they were staying at a hotel, which was down the street from us. But of course, we have them at the house. Yeah. So they came over. And and of course, the second day that she's there with the oxygen, there's a storm and we lose power. Oh, God. So now she needs this oxygen. Luckily, there was a, a, a place that had portable tanks down the street. So get that organized. As I'm out there getting all the tanks. Oh, guess what? Power's back. Good. We have the tanks. We're okay still. And then she started recovering and as her brothers were there and her mom and and stepdad were there she started getting better and then again her mom's a nurse so she was watching her and yeah and one of my hobbies became like putting the portable pulse oximeter on her finger just to see what's your what's your oxygen today it's this um so she got better and then off the oxygen wow within like three days or so really so it was great and her brothers and stepdad um flew back home and her mom stayed for a few extra days to make mm-hmm. sure she was okay and she made a full recovery from pneumonia unbelievable it was it was like all right I'm like this is a sign this is something i mean yeah. if this isn't going to bring hope then i don't know what is yeah there's some progression so let's switch you know let's get you off tamoxifen and switch uh chemos and put you on an aromatase inhibitor and and uh lupron let's get you on the lupron shots got better wow. so it regressed um her all of her her blood markers or tumor markers were decreasing oh my gosh it was it was working like this is incredible I'm like we are doing this this is fantastic yeah. i knew it like against amazing. all the odds like exactly you're doing it. like this is going to work we are absolutely going to like cancer doesn't have a chance against you like we got this 
to backtrack a little, uh, when she told her company that, you know, it reoccurred, they're like, what can we do? What can we do? And so they arranged her and I and the kids to have floor seats at a Celtics game. She was a ginormous Celtics fan. Wow, really? She was a transplant here. She loved basketball and she had, her and her mom had season tickets to the Seattle Storm WNBA league out in Washington when she was younger. And of course, Washington, um, Seattle lost their Supersonics team. Mm -hmm. So she just kind of became a giant Celtics fan. And we would always watch the games and the kids would really laugh at her because she would really get into it. She would yell at the players on the TV and, you know, come on, coach, come on, Brad, put me in, put me in. (laughs) And you know, he needs me there to tell him what to do. So it was really funny. The kids learned some new colorful words. Um, and the, one of the things that the kids still bring up, I know I'm going off on a tangent, but there was one time during a playoff game where it was a very close game and they won at the buzzer and she was just like yelling and jumping and like chest bumping and it was just <laughs> hilarious. And they're like, that was the best night ever. It was 10 yeah. o'clock at night because it was yeah. overtime. It was great. Um, but yeah, so we got to go to that and there's a picture of us on the, the garden floor and on the logo and it's my background. It's like one of my kids' backgrounds. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's just a great experience That's that amazing. we got to do and she was just blown away. It started, the tumor marker started growing again. Like, all right, let's watch this to see what's going on. And they kept growing and trying to get my timelines. So we celebrated our year anniversary. Um, and she was feeling okay. And then in September, I think it was, oh, end of August, she went in for a scan and they just wanted to do scans. Yeah. Cause they go like every three months or right. so. Okay. Yeah. And they wanted to do a brain scan just because it's a newer, um, it's a newer thought that they had of, of people with advanced stage breast cancer where, um, brain metatastases is common and so they did a brain scan and brought us back to another room it's like um we found a large tumor in your brain devastated so okay no symptoms no symptoms you see like the tumor markers kind of increasing but we already know it's in like the pelvis and the spine yep and for some reason the oncologist had like this hunch of like let's just get a baseline or just check it out Okay. Yeah. And it started to show some, um, some spots in her lungs. Okay. Like, so it was progressing enough and they said, let's just check. So, uh, there's tumors in your brain. Like we, we're going to have to do radiation, whole brain radiation. A couple of days go by. They're like, um, we're not doing whole brain radiation. Those were just a collection of blood cells. It's not a tumor. <gasps> so, um, there was some confusion on it. So don't, don't worry about that. You so, can't scare a cancer patient right, like right, that. Right, right. So, <laughs> like, oh. um, then we, uh, like, okay, good. Phew. Right. can breathe. So then more scans happened later in the month on her spine. And there was a tumor that was growing in her spinal column and it was pressing or yeah, it was pressing on her spinal cord. So they were afraid if it grew too big, then it could be paralysis. So she needed radiation again. Um, so she had five, five to seven radiation treatments. And these ones were more painful than the last ones and just knocked her out. And while she was on radiation, you can't take chemo because it just makes it more powerful and they can't really control it. So now she's off chemo. And then she ended up with a kidney infection after that. So no more chemo because 
right. you know, she has a fever. Uh, so that was September. She starts getting better. And uh, that was early October. I'm sorry. Like October 4th. Mm. And uh, you have radiation on your back because I only know it with regards to um, radiation for the chest. Is it similar in the sense that you're still putting like the lotions and the creams on yeah. it to prevent as much burning as possible? Yep. And so when you're saying that... Like it might have been more painful for her. Is it because of the location of where it was or the intensity? It was more or... of the feeling in the bone, not necessarily oh, on the skin. Got it. Okay. So it was that in, interior pain that she would feel. It felt like somebody was just crushing her bone. And we found at that point there were more compression fractures. So she had four at some point from the almost the base of her neck down to her tailbone. And at this point, the cancer had spread to her tailbone, to her hips, her pelvis, some in her femur, um, her ribs. So it just, it, it spread. Um, so in October, we uh, you know, knew that was spreading and like, all right, what, what can we do to get this back under control? Because she was off chemo for about a month. And at that, you know, during that time, the cancer just had a party and, and spread unbelievable. It's just so aggressive. Um, it was hormone receptive. And even though she was in medically induced or chemically induced menopause, it was still being 25. She's still producing hormones that, yeah. you know, they were trying to stop, but it would still, it was just thriving in her body. Um, so October 20th, um, she was having a, a bad back pain day and we have this heating pad, which worked wonders for the whole, whole time. And so I heated it up and I'm trying to get it under her back and she's laying on her back. So I'm pushing down on the mattress to slide it in. And as my hand went in, my knuckles brushed against her right side of her lower back and I felt a pop and she felt a pop and screamed. I'd never heard her scream like that before. She thought she broke her back. She couldn't move. Her legs weren't moving. We had to call an ambulance. They came up, put her on the stretcher, wheeled her out. That was the last time she was in our house. So went back to the hospital on the oncology floor and saw all the same doctors that we saw just 10 months earlier. And they said, you know, you may never walk again. So the antibiotic that she was on for her kidney infection has a tendency in rare cases to cause tendon rupture. She ruptured three muscles in her lower back and her hip. And they're like, you're not going to be able to walk. And in true Krenza fashion, she's yeah, I will. So she would work at it. I mean, for five days, she couldn't get out of bed and she would try. And it was just too painful. Um, so during that time, she had more scans and they saw that it's just getting worse. Her blood counts wouldn't stabilize. Um, they realized that even after blood transfusions, she was anemic. And her platelets were dropping rapidly. So after two weeks in the hospital on November 1st, they told her that there's nothing more they can do. And we had talked before of when it got to that point, she would move back to Washington to be with her brothers, her mom, and all of her family out there. So they said, if you're going to move back to Washington, now's the chance to do it. 
So, the, I mean, the hospital is great. They they made all the arrangements for her to fly, um, and an ambulance trip to the hospital, and then from uh, the the airport in Washington to her mom's house, her parents' house. Um, so that she was stable enough to fly. She in, was in so, terms of like pain and everything, though. So during that, she um, switched pain medications. And it seemed to get it under control. Mm-hmm. Made her a little loopy at times, but it got it under control, and she was able to walk again. So yeah, short distances. Awesome. So she just said, "Watch this," and she did it. And the physical therapist was impressed. The doctors were impressed, and she just kept her humor during this whole thing. Too, um, everybody loved her. She got lucky and had this corner room at the hospital. Had this great view of sunsets. Mm-hmm. So you know, we had a date night. You know, one of the two days before she left, we had a date night where we got, you know, takeout and watched a movie. Actually, we watched the Great British Baking Show. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So on November 9th, um, the cabulance picked her up mm. at three in the morning and drove her to the hospital. I mean, hospital, sorry, at the airport and got to spend the last couple hours there with her. And then she was wheeled on the plane. And that was the last time I saw her. Did <clears throat> how was the choice to not go to Washington with her? It was the decision was for her to go out there, get settled, and then I would fly out and spend time there, and then come back and fly out, come back. So we didn't know how long uh, she'd be there for, or how long. You know, the of course the biggest hope was you know there'd be you know an oncology team out there that may have seen something. So she had an oncologist, she had doctor's appointments, and they're like, there's nothing. And at that point, it was in her, you know, all in her bones, everywhere. Liver um, was just the worst part of it. Her lungs were even worse. Um, and then it eventually moved to her brain. So, And then the medication that she was on was too much for her. So there was no more chemo because of the uh, platelet count was too low. Um, so while she was out there, I was able to talk to her infrequently because she just wasn't herself anymore uh, there were moments where she was and we would talk and it was great and then there were moments where she just wasn't her um we would video chat when we could and she would know who I was and there was the time it was just sorry I'm trying to do the it was around December 3rd yes December 3rd where we video chatted and it would just be you know random whenever she could and so she called me and I was driving so I just pulled over and I'm taking this video call and I was talking to her and she was herself oh. uh she called me the nickname she would always call me she was her and it was great and I was talking to her and like threw out some outside you know inside jokes that we had and she picked up on them and I had written her a few poems that I read to her and she you know responded how I would expect her to respond. I'm like, all right, this is, you know, oh. this is my Carenza. She's back. Yeah. And it was great. And then, you know, the next day wasn't as good of a day. And then the Thursday, that very next Thursday, um, I got a call from her. And at that point, it was she was using her mother's phone because she would get too frustrated. Her fine motor skills had deteriorated. Um, so she couldn't really text and it would just just be all over the place and so 
you know, to protect and she'd get frustrated. So to protect that, her mother's like, let me know and I will help mm-hmm. you with this. So she called me and she was really emotional. Carenza was? Carenza was. Okay. Just really, I'd never, and sorry, let me go back about a week. She was told that um, we're taking you off active treatment and we're going to just put you on hospice. There's nothing you can do. It's spreading so much. So that was, I think, the Saturday before the Tuesday I talked to her. So, okay, this is, all right, this is happening. They're like, but if your platelets go too low, then we can take you off hospice and give you the platelets so you don't bleed out and have a painful, you know, um, time. So talked with that Thursday and she was in pain and she was crying and just distraught. So I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I just, I can't, I'm in so much pain. I can't do this. I'm so sorry. I was like, listen, you're strong. You got this. I'm not strong. Mm-hmm. I think you are. Like, you're doing this perfectly. What can you expect? Um, she's like, I'm not strong. I'm not. And she just kept saying it. She kept apologizing. It's like, you don't have to apologize. You're doing amazing. Like, everybody knows how strong you are. She's like, no, I don't feel it. I'm like, well, I want everybody to know, and I'm going to make sure everybody knows. I'm mm-hmm. like, you're, it's okay. And I just kept telling her it's okay, and I'd be okay. And then I promised her I would keep her legacy. Amazing to be able to hear such a beautiful yet tragic love story. I think a lot of times we don't shed light on stage four. There is a lot of misnomers and misunderstanding about what a cancer diagnosis is, regardless of what stage you are. We are always living in fear that it might return. There's so much that oncologists and researchers and investigators are doing to understand something that is incredibly complex and individualized. I love what you said earlier about not dwelling on the why me or what could I have done better or what did I not do, but to look ahead and to look forward to everything that is coming out of this. And that is just so commemorable and I really thank you for sharing this story up until this point at 314 and 315 and letting our listeners hear and travel this journey with you of opening up your story and your hearts for us to meet Carenza and then at the same time fall in love with her, her humor her love for purple and not pink, her joy de vie, her strength of not complaining, which I think sometimes as caregivers or friends or listeners, we just kind of want them to. We want them to cry and bawl and let us hold them because we know how hard it is. Ugh. Well, thank you so much for sharing this incredible, moving story. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful to be here and to have a good space to talk about her. 
right. Thank you all for tuning in again this week. It was great to have you. And I hope you appreciated the realities of these conversations we've been having, especially as we remember Carenza. If there are any of you out there who have a story you would like to share or would like to share a story in memory of someone, please feel free to reach out to me. We'd love to capture your voice, your story, and your words on Breast Cancer Conversations. You can email me at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. Until next time.